Well, welcome all you wiretappers out there back here in the studio of Gangland Wire. I have my friend and, and a regular contributor almost, uh, Jeffrey Sussman. <laughs> welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you, Gary. All right. We've done several shows together with uh, boxing and the mob and uh, about boxing in general. Uh, what else have we done? We, we, we've done several other shows. We did that. What we're going to talk about today, folks, is he's got a book coming out in paperback just about the time this is released. Uh, Big Apple Gangsters, The Rise and Decline of the Mob in New York. And, and when we talked about this book before in hardback, we talked about Scarpa, Gregory Scarpa. And, and so there's a lot of different stories in there. And, and what other books do you have? Oh, we've got one coming up that he quotes me in, guys. Uh, the uh, Let me take a look at that title. Uh, Sin City Gangsters, right? Yes. The, the Rise and Decline of the Mob in Las Vegas. Cool. That's good. Of course, you guys know I know a little bit about the mob in Las Vegas and, and uh, be quoted in that. We'll do a show on that when it comes out. Right, Jeffrey? Yeah. And, and not only were you quoted in it, but your book, uh, Leaving Las Vegas, was a great uh, resource for me. Oh, well, good. Well, good. Today, we're going to talk about is a kind of a celebration of the release of the uh, paperback version of Big Apple Gangsters. We're going to talk about the mob cops in, in New York City. I've never done a, jo- a story on the mob cops. And, and uh, I always thought it was interesting. They're, these two guys, it's like they were mobsters that got jobs as policemen and then worked their way. One worked his way into the intelligence unit, I believe, and the other one was uh, some kind of a homicide detective. It's uh, Louis Epolito and Steve Caracopa. Did I get those pronounced right? Uh, it Caracapa, Caracapa, and and, and uh, which one was the in the intelligence unit? One of them was in there intelligence. Louis Epolito. Okay, and then what did Steve do? He was a homicide he, detective, or yeah, he he was in uh, cold cases and homicide. So, and both of them gave him access to a lot of of information. You know, uh, Gotti had this uh, Bill Peist. Uh, who was a actually a civilian clerk, not civilian, a law enforcement, but he was a clerk in the intelligence unit for a period of time. And, and that gave him access to, to locations of wiretaps and bugs and, and information and who might be an inf- informant and where investigations were going. So uh, the mob was always looking for their own informants inside of law enforcement. Exactly. And what was interesting about <clears throat> Epolito and Caracapa was that. Epolito came from a mob family. His father oh, yeah. and, and 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 his uncle were were mobsters. <laughs> and 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 what uh, uh, one I think was in the Lucchese family, and one was in the Gambino family. And and yet, uh, you know, that didn't raise any red flags w- <laughs> when he entered the police academy. And then Caracapa, when he was eighteen years old, had uh, with with a gang had robbed a warehouse. <laughs> And and was um, caught, and uh, he pleaded no contest, mm-hmm. and 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 so that kind of in a way whitewashed his 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 record. And then he went into the army, got out of the army. He he uh, entered the police academy, and no, no one really looked at these guys' records before or where they came from or their backgrounds. And I asked uh, someone uh, a. Uh, 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 Tony Solano, who I believe you interviewed, right. who, who was a, a a New York City detective. And I asked him why this happened. And he said, at, at the time, there were a lot of um, anti-war demonstrators going on in the city. The city was really a mess. A lot of people who would have become cops 
had become soldiers. They were over in Vietnam. And the police department was eager to get as many recruits as they possibly could. And so they they kind of overlooked a a lot of things that would have been red flags in, in, in different times. Interesting. You know, the same thing happened probably all over the United States. Out of the riots of 1968, there was a big push to hire more cops and they have right. training and have a little higher standards. And everybody was in Vietnam, 68 to 71, 72. Right. And, and I know my academy class, I didn't go to Nam, but about everybody else in my academy class came out of Nam and went right into the police department. Right, exactly. Epolito uh, was sort of a, a brash kind of guy, you know, <clears throat> before he turned to fat, he, he was a weightlifter and he actually won the the Mr. New York weightlifting contest. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. and, 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 but when he was off duty, he, he would dress like a mobster. You, you know, he, he almost like, like a character out of Guys and Dolls. He wore a black shirt with a wide white tie <laughs> and, and, and he had all the big rings on his yeah. hands. And, 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 oh, and if he wasn't wearing a tie, he had a lot of gold chains around his neck. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, um, and, and so he looked like him and he prided himself uh, on, 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 on being a mobster. What, what what was interesting is is there was a guy uh, named Bert Kaplan, who who was a mob associate, who was in prison uh, for a white collar crime at a, at a prison uh, called Allenwood, which was a, a, a low security white collar uh, uh, prison, and he met there he met a guy named Frank Santora, who was a cousin of Epolito, mm. a- and uh, Kaplan said there was a guy that um, he had. Uh, done a deal with where they had stolen treasury bonds, a half a million dollars worth of treasury bonds. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were in the process of selling them. And his partner, a guy named Israel Greenwald, uh, he felt was cheating him. And Santora said, I have a, a a cousin who's a policeman who could take care of this guy for you if you want. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so Kaplan said, fine you know, let me know how much it'll cost. And, 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 and he and Kara, he and Karakapa met as, as policemen, they were initially in the same precinct and, um, and, and, and they went out and, and, and they stopped this guy Greenwald uh, while he was driving. They, they were in an unmarked police car and, you know, they put the flashing red light yeah. uh, on, on the roof and, and, and uh, blasted their siren. They pulled this guy over and he said, why are you stopping me? And he said, we need you for for a lineup, um, <laughs> and and the guy reluctantly went with them. Yeah, and and they drove him to a uh, a garage in 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 Brooklyn, where they had him kneel down and they they shot him in the head twice. Wow! And, and then they had the owner of the garage dig a hole and bury him in the garage basement, and then they poured lye over his body and then covered it with with dirt, huh. and. I, I think Kaplan paid them seventy-five thousand wow. uh, uh, dollars to do this, and and Kaplan was associated w- with Anthony Gaspipe Casso. Um, he did favors for him, and was sort of like a gopher in, in some ways for him. And he told Casso about this, and Casso said, "That's great. I'd like to use these guys, <laughs> really, <laughs> my, myself." And, and um, he wanted to meet them. And Kaplan said, no, you have to deal. If you want to deal with them, you have to deal with them through me because he didn't want to give up control of, 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 of these two guys. And in, during this period, um, uh, Eppolito, 
who was an intelligence, found um, documents that were wanted by a Gambino, who, who was a uh, crime, bo- uh, a, a different Gambino, it was a crime boss in New Jersey. And he provided all of the um, documents, p- police investigatory documents that this guy mm-hmm. wanted about him. And when the police raided Gambino's house, they went into his attic and they found all of these documents and they traced them back to Eppolito. So there was going to be a departmental trial of Eppolito. However, when it went before a judge, the judge threw it out because he said, the fingerprints that you say are Eppolito's are Xeroxed fingerprints, and we can't be certain that they're really his. So the case was thrown out and nothing happened to Eppolito. He just continued on. Wow. And even got a promotion six six months later. Um, So, so, I mean, the, the police department was extremely lax. In, 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 in dealing with this guy. And um, there, there was a, 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 a war going on with Casso and, 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 and others. And um, Casso, uh, there was an attempted sa- assassination of Casso. Mm. He was in his car and, and another car drove up. And as he was getting out of his car, uh, gunmen in the other car, they fired several rounds of bullets at him. He ran into a Chinese restaurant and out the back door. And, 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 and managed to escape. But he wanted to get the guys who, who had uh, tried to shoot him. And one of the guys uh, was this fellow, uh, Jimmy Heidel. He was tracked down uh, by Eppolito and, and, and Caracapa, and they told him who uh, Heidel was and where to find him and so forth. Mm-hmm. And Heidel knew now that there was a contract out on him because of the failed uh, killing of Casso. And he was walking in a park in a section of Brooklyn called Dikers Heights. And he saw uh, uh, Eppolito and Caracapa driving over to him. So he felt relieved. He thought, here are these two cops. They're going to protect me. I don't have anything to worry about. So they told him to get into the car and they drove him to a a warehouse. When they got to the warehouse, they took uh, Heidel out of the car and they threw him in the trunk and they drove to another location. And at that other location, it, w- it was someone's uh, abandoned home, I think it was. They, they tied up uh, Heidel in the basement. C- Casso started interrogating him and torturing him. So he, he, he shot him in first his left knee, then his right knee, then his elbow, then his right elbow. He shot him in the groin. You know, finally, Heidel gave up all the information that Casso wanted. And Heidel knew they were going to kill him. So he said to Casso, I know you're going to kill me but could you please leave my body out in the street so that the police can identify me and my mother can collect my life insurance? Casso said, sure. Casso didn't do that. And, 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 and No, and, and, and Heidel's body was never found again. They had no idea what happened to, to, to his body. What a jerk. Uh, it was just terrible. And, and what was interesting, though, prior to their getting Jimmy Heidel, they were um, scouting Heidel's house. Heidel and his brother lived with their mother. His brother, Frankie Heidel, came out of the house one day and Eppolito and Caracapa grabbed him. And then they realized it was the wrong yeah. Heidel. Yeah. And, and uh, Frankie uh, went back into the house and told his mother what happened. His mother was furious. She got in a car and she's driving around the neighborhood looking for these two guys <laughs> who, who grabbed her son. She sees them a couple of blocks away, parked at a corner. She pulls up beside them and she says, what is it you want with my son? 
and uh, Eppolito flashes his badge at her and says, it's police business. Yeah. And she said, I don't care what it is. I want to know what you were doing with my son. <laughs> and, and he said, it's none of your business. Go home, leave us alone. <laughs> yeah. And, and, Typical police response to a citizen that sticks their nose in, I'll tell you right right now. (laughs) Right. So so, uh, a year or two later, um, she's watching television in the afternoon. She's watching an interview show called The Sally Jesse Raphael Show. Oh, I remember that. And on the show is Louis Eppolito, who's promoting his book called Mafia Cop. (laughs) And she recognizes him. And. She calls a detective whom I interviewed named Tommy Dades. Oh, yeah. She, I've heard of him. He, yeah, he, yeah. He was in a lot of places. Yeah. Right. And uh, uh, Tommy Dades goes and interviews her. And 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 he realizes that they had been hearing stories about the mafia cops, but they could never get any information. So he goes and he interviews her and he uh, gets the information and he turns it over to a, a prosecutor named Michael Vecchione, who was mm-hmm. the uh, head rackets prosecutor uh, for the DA's office in Brooklyn. And, and they're compiling all this evidence against them. And then um, Casso, w- one of the killers was a, uh, one of the people who tried to assassinate Casso was a guy named Nicky Guido. He, w- he wants the, the cops to kill Nicky Guido, but he can't find out where he lives or, or anything about him. So he asks the cops to do it. And they say, well, we want an additional $4,000 uh, if, if you want us to do this. And Casso refuses to pay them. He says, never mind, I'll find out myself. So he has a friend who works at the Brooklyn Union Gas Company. And the guy comes up with, with a name and address and a location of a Nicky Guido who lives in a, a section of Brooklyn that's known as uh, mob territory. And he's the same age as as the Nicky Guido they're looking for. So... Uh, Casso gets a couple of his gunmen to go and kill this, not, not the mafia cops, but two gunmen to go and kill uh, the, this Nicky Guido. And of course, it's the wrong Nicky Guido. Mm-hmm. And, and they pull up alongside him. He just bought a new Nissan Maxima and he's showing it to his uncle. And, and from the side windows of this car that pulled up next to him, there are several blasts of gunfire. And he throws himself over his uncle's body to protect him, but he's killed in the process. And the and the and the car of killers drive away. And Eppolito and, and Caracapa are furious because you know they said to Cat they told Kaplan that if Casso had been willing to pay us the other four thousand dollars, we would have gotten the right person. Now he's killed an innocent person, and 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 this further alerts the police that something bad is going on, and, and they have to solve the problem. And the uh, uh, Kaplan had been on the run for a while because he had been selling uh, methamphetamine uh, uh, drugs and he knew the uh, cops were looking for him. So he uh, ran away to Mexico and, and, and Casso, uh, there was an indictment against Casso and, and, and Casso was hiding out at a house in New Jersey at the time. And, and Kaplan was in Mexico so, uh, exporting marijuana back to the United States and, and making a lot of money. And after a while, he feels that it's safe to come back. And, and he comes back and he's immediately arrested uh, by the Brooklyn DA's uh, squad. <clears throat> and he really believed in, in Omerta. 
he wasn't a made man, but he was more of a mafia type than the <laughs> mafia guys were. And he refuses to tell them anything. And, and, and they say, you know, look, you're 65 years old. <clears throat> you're going to get at least 20 years in prison. You're not going to come out alive. It, but if you cooperate with us, you know, we can make a deal with you. Mm-hmm. And he still refuses to do it. And finally, um, w- one of the uh, investigators says to him, you know, I, I can understand why you don't want to give up uh, Eppolito and, and, and Caracapa because, uh, you, know, you know, the people they killed, you may think they deserved killing. But, you know, an innocent kid was killed. How do you feel about that? And apparently that pricked um, uh, Kaplan's conscience. Mm-hmm. So he told them everything, really? everything they wanted to know. Huh. And, and, so and he's the one that actually gave up the mob cops in the end. He gave them up. Huh. And, 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 and of course, he, he gave up Casso. Yeah. And, um, and, and he, he you know, served a, a, a brief time in prison and, and was released on probation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Caracapa and uh, Eppolito were sentenced to prison, uh, life in prison, Eppolito plus 100 years, Caracapa plus 80 years. Mm. A- and, uh, and they both died in prison. And what was interesting about Bert Kaplan is his daughter, uh, uh, Deborah Kaplan, is the chief Supreme Court justice of the state of New York. I'll be darned. <laughs> <laughs> That is a interesting turn of events. <laughs> I know, and 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 Casso made a deal with the government uh, to go into the witness protection program, but he was lying about so many things and refused to tell the truth about so many things that they rescinded the deal. Yeah, and and, and he wound up dying in prison also. Yeah, I got I remember that on Casso. I did a story on Casso. He would. Casso, Anthony Gaspipe Casso was a pretty successful mobster. He, I think he had a big stolen car racket going on or something. And, That's right, he did. And uh, was he uh, was he working for Gambino's? Was, was that where Castellano was getting his stolen auto money? No, no I, I I think he was working for the Lucchese's. Lucchese's, okay, I couldn't remember, but he he was a pretty successful mobster in, in his own right, a business. Oh yeah. Yeah, he, he, he was. What was interesting, you know, when I interviewed um, Tommy Dades and, and, and Michael Vecchione, they said something that was very interesting that I had never thought of before. He said, you know, there are some guys in the mob who are just soldiers mm-hmm. and, 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 and they've made, they may have made millions and millions on their own. They may be wealthier than some of the capos and some of the underbosses, uh, but they've always remained soldiers. But, yeah. but they could be much wealthier than those uh, higher-ranked mafia uh, officials. Yeah, and I, and I think he was one of those. He, he didn't seem to want the responsibility of the rank, but he, he was a money. He was an earner, as they call him. Yeah, exactly. So those two mob cops, they, I, I, I just, I, it just blows me away that especially one got into the intelligence unit. Of course, I understand New York's different than Kansas City. Our intelligence unit, which I was a part of, was really small. And and there could be no smell of corruption about you before you were even looked at. I mean, they would, you know, they would bet you pretty good. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing that Eppolito wound up in that position. And, uh, you know, before they were indicted and tried, they both retired from the New York city police and they moved to a gated community in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, Eppolito 
um, wanted to become a movie actor and, and, and a screenwriter. And actually he had three bit parts in, 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 in movies. And I don't know if you remember the scene in Goodfellas where um, uh, Henry Hill is introducing by name a number of people sitting along a bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember point. that. Yeah, that, so. and one of them was Epolito. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and, and he's presented as, 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 as a member of the gang. Huh. And Tommy and me, and there was Anthony Stabile. How you doing? Frankie Carbone. And then there was Mo Black's brother, Fat Andy. And his guys, Frankie the Wop. Freddie No Knows. Which I thought was ironic. Yeah. Uh, you know, here's a, here's a mafia cop, and, 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 and he's presenting himself in a movie uh, about real life, supposedly, as, <laughs> as, 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 as a mobster. Yeah. And, 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 and then when he wrote the book, Mafia Cop, he had a photograph in there of himself and um, Steve Caracapa. And, and, and the caption was something like, uh, here are the real mafia cops. And Caracapa was furious. He said, well, why did you do this? He really? said, you know, this is going to tip off investigators. They're going to come looking for us. And and, and, and Eppolito was just so brazen. He, was. he, he thought he was above it and, and no one could touch him. Yeah. I would like to see the look on his face when when they popped him out there in his gated community in Las Vegas. He he thought he had it made. He thought he had skinned by all of them. He was smarter than everybody. I love it when those guys. He really did. Smarter than everybody get it in the end. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, his level of arrogance was just incredible. And then at court, uh, a guy, uh, I can't remember his first name. His last name was Gibbs. As uh, Eppolito was being sentenced, this guy was in the gallery in the courtroom and he stands up and he shouts at Eppolito. He says, do you remember me? Do you remember me? Do you remember me? And Eppolito looks up at him and he says, no, I don't know who you are. And he said, you uh, got someone to lie and say that I uh, knifed a a prostitute and killed her so that you could get a conviction because you couldn't find the real killer. And you framed me, you bastard. And uh, Eppolito said, I don't know what you're talking about. I never saw you. This guy served 19 years in prison oh, for boy. a crime he didn't commit. Yeah. And New York City wound up having to pay him $19 million, wow. a million dollars for each year that he served for a crime he didn't commit. And Eppolito framed him. And uh-huh. apparently he framed a lot of people when he couldn't get a conviction. Uh, he, he would frame someone and, and cause somebody else to lie, usually a, a minor criminal yeah. who, who, who he would threaten uh, with arrest and conviction if he didn't go along with what Eppolito told him to say. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I, I imagine that uh, the DA's attorney in Manhattan and Brooklyn or wherever he, you know, had cases, I bet they had to go back and pull every one of those cases and take a look at them. Sure. Yeah. It, 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 they were all in Brooklyn, I think. Brooklyn. Wow. Yeah. He, he, he was, he was amazing uh, what he got away with. And, you know, Tony Solano briefly worked with uh, Caracapa in the same precinct. And he said Caracapa was always very professional. He always came to work very well dressed. You know, he always wore a jacket and a tie. He spoke very, very uh, well. He, he said, and every once in a while, he would kind of slip into a kind of Brooklynese, a Brooklynese New York accent, mm-hmm. which he had tried to overcome. That would happen when he got excited about something. But he said he would remain very, very cool and, and, uh, and kind of detached from everyone. He, he didn't mingle. 
uh, with the other cops in the precinct and 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 stayed aloof from them uh, m- most of the time. After he moved to uh, Las Vegas, uh, Tony got a phone call from him, hmm. and and Karakapa said to him, uh, "Oh, oh, Tony had uh, left the police department and opened a uh, private uh, detective uh, uh, service mm-hmm. in, in in Manhattan. He got a call out of the blue from Karakapa." One day, while Caracapa was in Las Vegas, and Caracapa said, "Look, if you ever need any information about anyone, I can get it for you. Just let me know what you want, and the price is not too high." Hmm. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you leave the police department, you start doing those kinds of things, then you lose all those resources. Uh, if you're if you're honest and, and you do things right. right, you lose all those resources. I know when I started practicing law, you know, there was I was tempted, you know, try to find somebody to uh, uh, serve them with papers, uh, a summons, uh, you know, even just a divorce. But you, you don't have an address immediately. And, and so it's kind of tempting to call back and try to find a buddy who will use a police computer for you. And, exactly. and at that point in time, they had really they it used to be that. Didn't wasn't that stringent, but boy, in the last few years, it got really stringent on that. So he what he was doing, he just had contacts with the police computer, and, and uh, he could use that. Interesting. And and, and 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 Tony said, you know, it 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 didn't register at the time exactly what Caracapa was offering him. He didn't realize, you know, who these guys were and what they yeah. had. Though he did think it was a little odd that he got this call out of the blue yeah. or, or, or offering these services. Yeah, I guess they, they probably just were, you know, following along with people they used to work with and see what they were doing. And, you know, I figured he'd make a little extra money. Exactly. Uh, uh, doing that kind of a thing. And, and Tony Solano, folks, if you remember, uh, go back and look at my interview of him. Uh, he was he was in the New York City Intelligence Unit and he was assigned one time to go out and sit on John Gotti. And he has a really great Gotti story. I'll let <laughs> you go back and, and just just search on my website uh, or on the uh, one of your apps for the Solano, C-E-L-A-N-O. And, and Tony has a couple of books out there, too. I, I can't remember the names of them now, but but, uh, but they, they deal with a uh, they're all based on a character called Sergeant Markey. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think the first one was called Two in the Trunk or something like that. Um, and it, he's, he's done three books. He, he, he's enjoying himself as a, a mystery writer right now. <laughs> well, good, good. I, I love it when I was asked the other day in another podcast for a, by a police chaplain about retirement. And, you know, they, I, they asked me, well, what, what do you think about retirement? What should people try to do? And I said, you know, it gives you a huge amount of freedom. Do what you want to do. It's something you always exactly. want to do. You know, you've got the freedom to do that now. Just at least give it a shot. You know, you, you never know. Exactly. And, and so, I mean, that was very good advice. You know, I know other people who have retired and, and you know, they're kind of sitting on their hands. They don't know what yeah. to do with themselves. Yeah, it's either that or they go take jobs as like a security guard in a court. Uh, right. We had, we had a lot of them that down at the federal court, they hired a whole bunch of uh, ex-coppers that I used to work with, retired coppers. and. You know, they just go in and do stand around for eight hours and at the uh, 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 magnetometers and, you know, where they check the parcels and everything in the federal right. court down there. And it was, you know, it was a decent paying job. But, you know, uh, I say tedious, do, tedious really, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe some people like that. I mean, go, you know, you got freedom. Go try to, to use that freedom. Uh, that's what I and I, Tony has done that. Well, this has been about the Mafia Cops in New York City, and it's from the book, 
Big Apple Gangsters, The Rise and Decline of the Mob in New York by Jeffrey Sussman. And, may, may I hold up the cover? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and on the YouTube, I'll put up, uh, I, I've got a, a picture of that. So, yeah, there are yeah, Big okay. Apple there. Gangsters. And and he talks about, tell us the, kind of, uh, give us an overview of this, the uh, broad spectrum that you cover in New York. Well, well it starts with, with Arnold Rothstein, who was really the founder of organized crime, who mentored Lucky Luciano. Uh, Frank Costello, Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, and Joe Adonis when they were all uh, young mobsters. Mm -hmm. And he taught them uh, how to organize crime. He also taught them because, you know, these were uneducated children of of immigrants. Right. And and, and he taught them proper manners. He taught them how to dress to look like successful businessmen. Um, And and he financed a lot of their operations. So when they went into uh, bootlegging, he financed uh, a lot of their operations. He financed uh, a trucking company that would deliver booze. He, he, he financed some boats that would bring booze in. And uh, when he was assassinated uh, in 1928 at a card game at the Park Sheridan Hotel, uh, Lansky, uh, Siegel, uh, Luciano, and Costello took over his, his, his operations. And then in 1931, these guys eliminated the two big mafia bosses at the time, uh, Maranzano and Joe the Boss Masseria, and, and, and they formed basically the, the families, uh, the, the five mafia families. But then they also formed something that was even more powerful than the five mafia families, and that was the National Crime Syndicate. Right. And they formed a, a commission. And, and, and on that commission, it, it was very multi-ethnic. I, I mean, there were Italians, there were Jews, there were, there were Irish people. Uh, uh, there was one or two people from uh, whose background was Swedish. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, so, and, and, and they really controlled and organized all organized crime throughout the United States. And, 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 and they picked people from all over the country who, who, who sat on the commission and, and their word was final. And, and there were some, some of the heads of the mafia families sat on, on, on that commission as well. And, and they had a vote on that commission, but the syndicate was larger uh, than that. So, so then uh, the book deals with, has chapters about Frank Costello, Lucky Luciano, Bugsy Siegel, Meyer Lansky, uh, uh, Carlo Gambino, Albert Anastasia, um, uh, Paul Castellano, John Gotti, Sammy Gravano, uh, Crazy Joey Gallo, um, the, the the Black Gangsters, uh, uh, Bumpy Johnson, uh, Leroy Nicky Barnes, Frank Lucas, um, and, uh, and, and of course the, the, uh, the, the mafia cops. So, so I, I tried to cover the whole spectrum beginning, um, uh, with Arnold Rothstein prior to world war one, going right up throughout to the end of the century, dealing with the mafia cops. And, and, and whereas the people at the beginning were really in their own way, very, very brilliant and, and, and managed to control enormous, uh, number of enterprises simultaneously the ones at the end were were dummies by comparison yeah uh, um you know they, they were just hoods who, who you know made uh who took advantage of scams and they had small scores here and and they were involved in prostitution and drug selling um but but nothing really big time and which was the big difference between the early uh founders of, of, of organized crime and, and, and the ones who inherited it three generations later. 
really. I, I was just trying to explain to a, a guy the other day, and the best I could, it's kind of the, the evolution of the mafia back in the 20s, 30s, the organized crime, national crime syndicate. And I think a lot of this is because of uh, prohibition and, and then the depression uh, that the mob, the organized crime members were much more part of society and politics and not such real outcasts from society as they are, as they became later in life. As you say, I, it just, it, it was, it, they were part of society in the thirties. Exactly. The 40s. Right. You know, Frank Costello was a delegate to the Democratic presidential convention that nominated Franklin Roosevelt for president. Yeah, that's. I, I mean, you couldn't imagine a Casso in that position. Right, right. <laughs> Nick Sabella, our boss in Kansas City, and this is after the war, but he he met the, the local leader of the Teamsters Union who became his uh, confidant and, and, and really his puppet uh, over the next few years as they both sat on a Democratic nominating committee for Jackson County, Missouri, in order they decided who ran for which office. And, sure. And, and he, he was the mob boss of Kansas City. This is like 1949, 1950, maybe 51, somewhere along in there. So, it, you know, but boy, something happened at, at about that point in time on into the 60s that right. that they then became outcasts. I, I don't, well, well, sure well you know, you, you look at a guy like Mo Dalitz who started out as a bootlegger yeah. and, and, and became a, a real big deal in, in, in Las Vegas, he was invited to the presidential inaugurations of Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it, 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 it's extraordinary. Yeah. And, you know, I, I interviewed a, um, a mob lawyer who, who's in his 90s now, who, who knew a lot of these founding people in, in their later years. Um, and he, he said to me that, that Guys like Lansky and Costello uh, and um, Luciano, he said they were like generals in an army. They, yeah. they could control an entire field of operations. They knew everything that was going on. Uh, they were able to delegate responsibility to people who were capable of carrying out what they wanted carried out. He, he, he said, you don't have people like that anymore. Yeah. When, when Nick Savella left in Kansas City, you know, and he was like that, he he commanded not a big army, but he commanded the entire metro area and places outside. And, and all he had to do was mention his name. But after him, there, there was never another guy like that. And, 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 and I think that's pretty much happened around the country. I mean, I mean, you have a lot of kind of low level mafia people or, or young guys who are attracted to that life. Yeah. But they don't have the skills yeah. or, or the, the capability of, of doing what Maybe it was their grandfathers or great grandfathers were able to do. Yeah, if you think every city, Santos Tropicante and, and uh, Carlos Marcelo, and you know, in every city, uh, even Chicago, they don't have any kind of a charismatic boss anymore. They just kind of develop, have devolved into some crews, <laughs> is what right. they have. Yeah, it, it, yeah. When I was when I was uh, working on the um, uh, Las Vegas gangster book. I, I went through a, a history of of the leaders of the outfit in Chicago, mm -hmm. and and, and over the years, you know what happened. I mean, to some, and at some level, it became a joke almost. You know, there was a guy. 
He was even uh, Joey the Clown Lombardo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you couldn't imagine this guy, you know, leading an army anyplace. Really? Yeah. And and when, uh, when it looked like Iupa was going to die, he was kind of the last uh, right. up front boss. In Chicago had a different deal. They had a Cardo always and Paul Rica behind the scenes. And then they right. put Sam Giancana out front as a boss. And, right. and then after that, Joey Iupa was uh, the guy that was like the, the known boss. But you had these guys back behind the scenes. And I think the, uh, really they had to get their permission, their nod in, in major things and, and over the years. And, and then after Iupa left, Arcado, uh, Arcado died, Rica died. Just, uh, you know, they were talking about maybe bringing Tony Spilatro back from Las Vegas to be the next boss. There was a serious discussion on that. So go figure. That would have been a disaster for them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I don't know if I told you the story. Um, in the 1970s, I was in Chicago. I was uh, promoting a book that I had written. And uh, I had a friend uh, there who uh, owned a, a small trucking company. And he took me out to, he invited me to a restaurant at a, at a club that he belonged to in the downtown area, which was known as the Loop. And um, he um, he said to meet him at this club at at at, at six thirty. Uh, so I got there, and I got there a little early. And he was at the bar talking to somebody, and I I went over and I said hello and shook his hand. And he briefly introduced me to this other man. He didn't give me the man's name. He just said. You know, to this man, you know, this, oh, he, he said, oh, Tony, he said, uh, uh, Jeff, this is Tony, Tony, this is Jeff, he shook hands. And he said, go in the dining room, get a table, wait for me, I'll be in a few minutes. So so I waited for him a few minutes, and he, he came in, and he sat down, and I said, so who was who that guy you were talking with? He said, oh, his name is Tony Ocardo. <laughs> and I, I had been having a problem with people pilfering uh, uh, from my trucks. And he told me, you know, that he took care of it and not to worry about it anymore. Yeah. And then he handed me this button that, that must've been, um, about, uh, five inches in diameter. It was a big button with Tony's photograph on it. And it said, happy birthday, big tuna uh, 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 <laughs> under it. And he said to me, he said, wear this button when you go shopping tomorrow. And he said, no one will bother you. He said, you can, you can jaywalk, you can do anything and no one will bother you at all. And I had no idea who this guy was until I got back to New York and I looked him up and I realized he was head of the outfit. Interesting. Interesting. What if there's any of those buttons left around today, that would be the ultimate piece. I I was looking for it. You couldn't find it. That would be a great piece of mob memorabilia. I, I know when I started writing the, the mod book about Las Vegas, because so yeah. much of it was controlled by the outfit, I went looking for it in all my old <laughs> yeah. drawers and I couldn't find it. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> really? <laughs> all right. Jeffrey Sussman, this has been great. Uh, the book is Big Apple Gangsters, The Rise and Decline of the Mob in New York. It's coming out in paperback right now, guys. So you want to get out and grab a copy of that. That can be your your go-to book, particularly for for New York. Uh, Right. uh, And and I certainly use stuff out of it myself. And uh, it's just, and it's going to be factual. Uh, I know Jeffrey, I've interviewed him several times and, and know his work well. And uh, so you, you need to get that book, guys. Thank you very much, Gary. All right, Jeffrey. Well, don't forget, look out for motorcycles when you're out there on the road, guys. And uh, if you have any problems with PTSD and you're a vet, go to the uh, VA 
website. They've got a hotline number there. And uh, I appreciate it, guys. 